Very good morning, Amokyo family. Today's sermon is entitled, In and Out. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear this phrase, in and out. I immediately think of in and out burger, which unfortunately only has uh, pop-up stores here in Singapore so far. But what I really want to focus on for today's sermon, which is building on Pastor Mihi's sermon last week, is to watch out for what's in our hearts and minds and our mouths. Let me say that again. We really need to watch out for what's in our mouth and it's in our hearts. So that's a pun intended. We really need to watch out for these. As mentioned by Pastor Mihi last week, here at Amokyo, we set aside the month of July annually to focus on issues pertaining to Christian living, all things pertaining to family and life, basically all-encompassing. Last week, she spoke on mending the family fabric, all kinds of relational conflicts within the home, between parent and child, spouses, siblings, or relatives. Now, with God's help, I want us to believe that there can be restoration and reconciliation if we begin to apply God's word, if we live according to God's instructions. Interestingly, without conferring with Pastor Mihi, even though we did plan the pulpit calendar together, we didn't confirm the Bible scripture verses, but the Lord led both of us independently to the same passage, which is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. Let me now read us the word of God. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, your word shows us how to walk and live so that we will not stumble and fall. So Holy Spirit, awaken all our hearts to receive your word today. Let our hearts be good soil that truly we may be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen some of these what my friends think I do memes floating around on the internet, you know, or sent to you? I've come up with something very similar for pastors. First picture, what church members typically think I do? You know, doing Bible study with people, praying with people. Now, this is the most commonly uh, helped misconception among church, church members that the pastors have a very good life. We only need to work on Sundays. Oh, we just pray people and just read the Bible. Next picture. What my dad thinks I do. When I first uh, appointed as pastor in church, his very first question to me was, wow, now your job very senang, huh? very relaxed, huh? since you are the head. Whoa, I finally fell off my seat. No, I have a lot uh, more things to do as a result of this new role. Now, next picture. What society thinks I do? You know, the, they usually, thanks to movies, what is depicted in the movies, we, they think of pastors and priests only at funerals, weddings, you know, do, doing holy sacraments. Next picture. What my friends think I do? Just talking to people, always dim coffee with people at cafes, having nice coffee and tea. Uh, really, be, uh, you know, goes with this TTC. Tiam, tiam, jia. 
Now, what I think I do as a pastor when I sign up for ministry years ago, you know, preaching, healing the sick, having evangelistic rallies, performing exorcism, raising the dead. Honestly, I do do some of these things and I hope one day I can truly witness the testimony, uh, the miracle of raising the dead in Jesus name. But in reality, this kind of work probably takes up only a very small percentage of my typical work here. So what I really do, see this picture. <laughs> it's me multitasking, you know, trying to run around, balancing so many tensions, doing so many things at the same time. Now here's a very brief description of my job scope as pastor in charge. I have to oversee and coordinate the development, implementation of the vision, mission, core values and strategic plans of the church. So I have to be, you know, close to God to be a visionary leader. I also have to oversee and lead the whole preaching and teaching ministry of the church as a preacher, as a teacher. I also have to oversee and lead the staff team as well as the lay team, right? And as of this year, for the next four years, I'm also the track for the youth ministry chairperson and I continue in my role as associate director of ministries in schools. So effectively, I'm leading three teams, not just one team, but three teams. I also have to oversee the training and development of lay leaders and lay people for effective ministry. So I'm an equipper. I have to oversee the administration of the church, organizer, administrator. Of course, I have a good staff team to assist me in that. We also have to liaise with the government, external organizations, as well as track general conference for, for irrelevant information, implementation of policies and measures, things such as governance, risk assessment, safe management measures, so and so forth. Now, that's just the brief description of my role as PSC. It doesn't even include the roles, the fundamental roles and duties of pastors. There's 22 of them in the book of discipline. At the same time, I have to take care of my own soul and my family. So just to give us a concrete example of a typical day that might happen and has indeed happened. So I dropped my kids off, for example, at 7 o'clock at school. There's one time on, at 7.30 a.m. I was already meeting someone for marital counseling for an hour. And after that, I came back to church. I had a pastoral counseling session with a senior for about 45 minutes. At 3 p.m. that day, I was recording sermon, but from that time after that pastoral counseling, all the way to 3 p.m., I had to clear emails, I had to handle HR matters, I had to prepare the order of worship, I had to prepare for the sermon. At 5.15 p.m., I made three hospital visits at Tan Singh Hospital, and then at night at 8 p.m., I was leading a Bible study. So, of course, you know, to be fair, and I thank God that not every day is that hectic or fully packed. Otherwise, you know, really, my whole family life will be in shambles by now. Of course, I wish I can tell you that I have a lot of unhurried time with the Lord, that I can pray and seek the Lord daily. The reality is that there are many days, in fact, too many that I would like to, to say, too many that I've neglected my own walk with the Lord because of busyness. So don't ever think that the pastor's life is so easy. I've had days where I had to conduct both a wedding and a funeral on the same day at the same time managing the larger concerns of the church. But in case some of you, uh, God is calling some of you into full-time ministry, I also don't want you to think that being a pastor is the worst calling ever. No, I have great joy in ministry. And if you give, the choice is given to me again, I would choose to serve the Lord over and over again because this is what the Lord has called me and made me to be. I have great joy and purpose and meaning in ministry. My point in showing all of us these memes is not to highlight to you specifically how overworked pastors are. 
My point is to illustrate to all of us, if you search the internet, there are beings of every vocation, that every vocation has their own hidden challenges and realities of work that very few people know about. After this sermon, perhaps you want to create your own meme, right? And maybe educate your own family members, uh, friends, what your job really is like. I simply use my example as a pastor because that's what I'm most familiar with. And I don't want to presume to know what your work or home situation is like. And that's why I'm just using my life as an example. My point I want to make here is that we simply don't know the ins and outs of each other's lives, whether at work or even at home, certainly not all the intricate details. Therefore, we need to learn to give each other some slack, some grace, some benefit of doubt. Take, for example, a homemaker, perhaps a vocation that most of us will say we think we know quite well, but unless you are a homemaker yourself, you probably will not appreciate the stresses a homemaker feels. And even then, a homemaker with one child is different from a homemaker with three children. A homemaker with a stable spousal income is different from a homemaker with a struggling income. A homemaker with toddlers is different from a homemaker with adult children. There are different types of homemakers, right? So no one truly is able to understand the full extent of someone else's life. So that's the first point I want to make to all of us this morning. Be careful of the judgments we make in our hearts or our minds. Be careful of these judgments that we make in our hearts and minds which are presumptuous. And so Amoka family, if you really want to be a, a home with a heart, a church with a home with a heart, an authentic loving community, we must learn this self-discipline of not judging others prematurely. Above all, we must fight the temptation to assume the worst of the other person. That is so easy to do, right? We just want to assume the worst. But let's fight this temptation. Take the entire one and a half years battling COVID, for example. The temptation is to think that the pastors and church office, you know, we are very relaxed without any physical worship service or the usual programs. The temptation by bosses is to think that their staff are slacking at home. But that is not true at all. In fact, Straits Times reported in 19 of August 2020 that people experienced greater stress as a result of work-from-home arrangements and handling the kids at home compared to frontliners. Even before COVID, many people have already experienced difficulties having a good work-life balance. We already struggled without COVID and it's gotten worse, truly, with COVID. With COVID, researchers at the Duke NUS Medical School reported that one in three adults experienced psychological distress related to COVID, with many reporting anxiety and depression. You know, I initially wanted to position this sermon along the lines of maintaining healthy work-life balance because I see that it's such a big stress point. But as I prayed, as I worked on the sermon, the Lord really wanted to put his finger on something more fundamental. What is the kind of environment, what is the kind of inner disposition we should have in order to create an atmosphere where people feel loved and supported, both at home and in this spiritual community? What kind of atmosphere is truly needed, you know, that people can feel loved and supported? Again, Ephesians chapter 4. That's the secret and the passage for us to keep meditating and to apply in our lives. Let's look at verse 29. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so we must be careful, my friends, of what we say. Be, fa- be careful what comes out of our mouths. Fred comes home from work only to find his grumbling spouse, Francesca, who's had her own share of handling two rebellious teenage children the whole week. Fred and his wife, they exchange hurtful remarks. Francesca laments, all you do after you come home is watch TV. Fred retorts, all you have to do is look after the kids, what? You don't have to deal with last-minute projects given by your boss. Meanwhile, Fanny is frustrated that her parents are always quarreling, bickering. And that's why she would rather lock herself in the room trying to drown out the noises. Her elder brother Fabian, who is more vocal, storms out of his room and shouts at his parents, Can you both just shut up? I'm trying to study for my O-level exams. To make things worse, people in the church start gossiping about this F family. Wow, this family really failed. Fred, Francesca, Fabian, Fanny failed. Always quarreling, bickering. So what's happening here? Lots of unwholesome talk at every level. And even Fanny, the youngest daughter, who so-called kept silent, isn't really without fault. Yes, she kept quiet, but she didn't really apply the second part of verse 29, which is to say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Before we can learn to build others up, first of all, we must learn to shut up, right? And listen so that we can really identify what are truly their needs. The problem with many of us, myself included, is that we think we know what are people's needs. So many of us jump into this problem-solving mode and try to tackle the superficial issues. What people truly need is the need to be affirmed in their worth, in their value, in their identity. And the best way to affirm a person is to take time to genuinely listen to them, not to trivialize or to brush aside the issues or sweep them under the carpet. But first of all, is to listen attentively. Back to the meme I shared of your earlier, I hope we learn through that simple illustration that we must not presume that we think we know what's happening in people's lives, other people like other people's lives, including our own family members and perhaps especially our own family members. The sad reality, again I include myself here, is that we often listen to others outside of the family more than our loved ones because we make the fatal assumption that we think we already know it all. So what we want to do really is to get it out with all these presuppositions, assumptions, out with all this unwholesome talk. Instead, what comes out of our mouths should really only be what builds up. But that can only happen if we had taken time earlier to listen, taken the effort to truly understand. Then verses 31 and 32 tells us, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And so the third lesson for us today is to be careful of the bitterness and rage in our hearts. We know very well bitterness, rage, malice, all of these naturally should be out of our lives. We also know we must be kind and compassionate to forgive. Who doesn't know that, right? But of course, we also know it's so much easier said than done. 
I too lost my temper several times with my children and my dad. As pastors, we have seen the destructive damage that bitterness does to relationships. The irony is that bitterness is a pill that many people don't find it too bitter to swallow. <laughs> bitterness is a pill that many people don't find it too bitter to swallow. Instead, we allow bitterness to reinforce our prejudiced minds and harden our hearts even more so that we even at times find the word forgiveness repulsive. Surely we all know we want to get rid of bitterness, rage, we want to forgive. But how? That is the great question. The secret lies at the end of verse 32. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ Jesus, God forgave you. If there was anyone who was truly ever betrayed, persecuted, neglected, misunderstood, that would be Jesus. His closest friends and disciples, they misunderstood him. They did not understand his mission. They neglected him when he wanted someone to journey with him for prayer. They abandoned him when he was arrested and even betrayed him. And the crowds which so warmly welcomed him eventually turned their backs on him and persecuted him. So if there's anyone whom we have wronged and grieved the most, that person will be God. God alone knows how sinful we all have been. We have not given him the glory he is due. We have not obeyed him. We have not listened to his word. We have not you know, heeded his guidance. We may even have persecuted him before we became Christians. And yet God chose to send his son to atone for our sins, an innocent man, to die for sinners. The worst thing is that Jesus didn't even get a fair trial. He had no mediator to defend him. But not us. We have Jesus, our high priest, our mediator, our defender. And through Jesus, it is possible for all of us to experience genuine forgiveness from God so that we can learn to genuinely forgive others. The problem is that we often think that we are the righteous ones. My spouse has done me wrong. My siblings, they did me wrong. My children, they have done me wrong. My church has done me wrong. And we never see the wrong that we have done to them and to God. And unless we begin to see that we too bear fault and responsibility, this process of reconciliation and healing cannot start. I don't know about you, but in my disagreements with well, the process of reconciliation and healing always begins when I humble myself and I acknowledge where I have gone wrong. And then when I make time to listen, that's when I eventually bring on the point that I want to bring across. But first of all, it takes humility to recognize where I have gone wrong. So reconciliation is always a two-way street. It must be a two-way street. In 99% of conflicts, it's always both parties at fault somewhat. Even if you did not start the argument, the quarrel, your negative responses probably may have fueled the fire. Even well-intentioned silence can sometimes be perceived as being passive-aggressive. Of course, we all know saying too much, especially unwholesome talk, surely will lead to a downward spiral. When I started ministry 12 years ago, I felt terribly inadequate as I didn't have enough pastoral experience you know, to counsel on relational conflicts. Even up to today, some people still don't think I'm fully qualified and that's okay, I don't blame them. The crucial difference, I think, in my own reflection between myself 12 years ago and where I am today is my absolute confidence in the power and efficacy of God's word. 
that God's word, what is written, has power. And I'm going to take it as it is. I'm not going to try to explain to it away. Why? Because God has all the experience and wisdom in the world. And he says here, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Jesus, God forgave you. If God words, God's word says it, I believe it. And that settles it. If it's not possible to get rid of all bitterness, God's word will never have written it down. So I truly believe this is the message of God's hope and call to action for all of us in our own families and also in this family and life month. In fact, I will say again, since the Holy Spirit guided, guided Pastor Mihi and I independently to this same passage, maybe this is something we really need to highlight in our Bibles and take action in our lives. Forgiveness, I would say, is very high on God's agenda for us as Amokyo family in this season of our lives, or for you, perhaps. Remember, an innocent man, actually God himself, died for us, for you. And if God can forgive horrible sinners like us, people who sent his son to the cross, who killed his son, whether indirectly or, or not, surely we have no good reason not to forgive others. We send an innocent man, God himself, to the cross because of our sins. What wrong, what greater wrong have we can there be of others against us? And if God can forgive us, surely God expects us to forgive others as well. Bruce Lawson tells the story of a Catholic priest living in the Philippines, a very much-loved man of God who, however, carried a secret burden of a sinful past hidden deep in his heart. He committed a grievous sin during his days in seminary, he had since repented, but he suffered years of remorse and guilt over this issue. He had no peace, no inner joy, and no sense of God's forgiveness. In the priest parish, there was a woman who really loved God, you know, and claimed to have visions of Christ, where she would speak with him and he with her. The priest, however, was very skeptical of her claims. And so to test her visions, he would say to her, You say that you actually speak, you have a dialogue with Christ. Let me ask you a favor. The next time you have this conversation with God, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in seminary. The woman readily agreed and went home. When she returned to the church a few days later, the priest asked her, Well, did you speak with Christ again? She replied, Yes, I did. And did you ask him what sin I committed in, in seminary? Yes, I asked him. Well, what did he say? The priest asked. The lady calmly replied, Jesus said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Now, of course, we are not God. We are not able to wipe out our memories. And when Jesus answered, I don't remember, the point is that God is trying to say He does not hold our sins against us. When it's forgiven, it is truly forgiven. He will no longer hold our sins against us. And so when we are asked to forgive, it is really to make a conscious choice, not to bring up the hurt again in a way that further damages the relationships or damages the other person or retaliate with hurtful words. The only way we can truly repay the debt of God's unconditional and complete forgiveness is to pay forward, to forgive just as Christ, God in Christ Jesus, forgave us. Let me say here also, to forgive doesn't mean that what the person did was right. No, 
is precisely because it's wrong. That's why it has to be forgiven. To forgive also doesn't mean that you foolishly subject yourself, you know, to further hurts. There are many times when minimal or or even no contact may actually be more helpful. So just because you're forgiven doesn't mean you need to subject yourself to further hurts. Third, to forgive also doesn't mean you never have to cry or sleep yourself to sleep again. To forgive doesn't mean that, you know, your pillow is no longer drenched with tears. No, you may in fact continue to cry and weep over the past. However, to forgive is a choice, not to retaliate in word or in deed. Again, we all know it's not easy, but this is what the word of God says, and I stand upon the authority of God's word. So really to summarize now today's sermon, three things we want to get out and get rid of, and three things we need to let in to our lives. First of all, out with presumptuous judgment. Fight the temptation of assuming the worst of another person. Fight this temptation to assume the worst of the other person. You see, no one truly knows the ins and outs of another person's lives, even the closest people that who are with us. Therefore, we must learn instead to let compassion, kindness in. Let it permeate the way we speak and think. Number two, let's get rid, get out, you know, of unwholesome talk. Instead, let us listen, truly listen, that we learn how to speak words which build up. Third, we want to get rid out with bitterness, rage, malice. Instead, we want to let in forgiveness and mercy. Forgive as we are forgiven in the Lord. If we can truly practice these principles laid out very clearly for us in Ephesians chapter 4, we will begin to mend our broken family fabrics and change the cultures of our family, our cell groups, and even perhaps the atmosphere of our society. Imagine what you'll be like when your colleagues are gossiping and judging against your boss or fellow colleague, spilling all their beans, you know, and then venting their frustration and anger. And of course, you feel their grievances too, because you too have been a victim and you really want to join in. But just before you let a word loose on your lips, suddenly the Holy Spirit prompts you, remember Ephesians 4, 29-32. And so, you eventually decide to keep quiet, to walk away. You may even choose to bless your, your boss or your fellow colleague in your private prayer. What a difference that will make in time to come. Imagine what it's like if Fred came home to a stressed out Francesca and both learned to sit down and pour out their woes to each other and then to the Lord in prayer. And the children growing up in this atmosphere, quietly observing from a distance how their family their parents deal with stresses in their lives, how they are able to communicate and talk to God and with each other. What a difference they will make to the children's lives in their own relationship with each other and in their relationship with God. So friends, there is great wisdom and power in God's word. Truly, God's word is life. Let all who hear truly hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's one verse I skip and I want to close with this. In this passage, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So if you want to get rid of judgment, unwholesome talk, bitterness and rage, and let in kindness, compassion and forgiveness, we need the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word given to us today. 
Forgive us, Lord, for the many times we have grieved your Holy Spirit by not believing your word, by not thinking that it is possible to get rid of all bitterness, unwholesome talk. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the ways we have said hurtful things. We have not listened to others. Lord, we pray you renew our hearts, renew our minds, pour forth your Holy Spirit afresh into our hearts so that truly we may speak only words which build up that we may express kindness and compassion and forgiveness in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.